0: Blog Talk Radio. and gentlemen, let's get ready to be
1: inspired! Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis!
0: And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Preacy,
1: Ladies and gentlemen time to get in the game and good morning and it's another week of american tennis welcome back Uh, gosh i missed last week too and i apologize for these weeks that i'm missing it's just too many moving parts folks and everything that's going on also with this virus thing and the tennis and are they going to have tennis? Are they going to call it off? Do you have to be, wait a minute, 78 feet apart, 8 feet away? Uh, I don't know, 178 feet away? I mean, come on. <clears throat> I mean, I put this thing out there. I'm not going to go into that. We've got a great program today. But as my mind is wandering toward this thing, a thing I'm really upset about, I put in, you know, I don't do the Facebook so often, folks, but I did put in there, I said, I said, sunburn. Yes, many times. Blisters, often, hurt feelings when you lose, almost all the time. But getting a virus from seventy-eight feet away? Nah, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But anyhow, look, it's American tennis. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. Welcome back, this is Coach Chuck Creasy. And we always say that this is the place where you stand up, speak out, say those things you want to be. To say, all we ask, stay professional, address issues, not people. You could say pretty much anything you want. All that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. Edmund Burke said. But we try to say it and say it in the right way. And uh, but anyhow, welcome back. We've got a great program today. And first of all, before I bring Coach Andy Johnston on, I want to apologize, Coach Andy Johnston. I don't have him off of the mute button yet but i want to apologize to him and i've done it will be eight years now that i've been doing this program is that unbelievable how that has flown since july of 2012 you go to chuckcreasy.net and dig up all my programs and uh, we've we've addressed some great things over the past eight years but one of the one person i need to have on quite often is coach Andy Johnston and I'm going to bring him on air Andy Johnston I am so sorry that I have not brought you on before and we're missing out and I think it's always been that you've been too busy you know you've been too busy with all you do teaching tennis being a coach director of football operations at Clemson University boy have you done a lot but welcome to the program and we're going to give a quick background about you here welcome Andy can you hear me okay
0: well, thank you. I can, can I can hear you, Chuck? You hear me?
1: Yeah, man. Well, you're on. You're okay. on. We're going to have a good time of it. And uh, folks, look, I shared an office with this man for 17 years, and then but we've shared. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, what do you want to say? Mental telepathy or uh, ideas and, and everything. And, uh, and <laughs> I know that I could not have uh, been half the coach, half the leader, half the teacher had I not been around you, Andy Johnston. But uh, Coach Andy Johnston, folks, was on my first team at Clemson. We'll have you we're talk a little bit about that. You were the lone survivor about, what, we have 48 people in the room that first night. When we, uh, I went in 1975 and I said, we're going to have open tryouts. You know, we're sort of like they did on that movie Invincible. You remember that thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I so, remember it. <laughs> so, you were the lone survivor.
0: Uh well, you want to tell that yeah. story
1: real quick? Could you, don't embellish too much, but you can tell that story how you were the lone survivor.
0: Well, Chuck, thank you for having me on. And like you said, I know it's been eight years, but you know what they say the late show's the great show. And I'm glad you got the warm up band <laughs> out of the way so I could be on. <laughs> yep.
1: I no, hope uh, it's not there's... too late now. We'll keep going here. Go ahead.
0: Well, seriously, yeah. morning madness was something. I remember when I got there in 1975, I was 18, you were 25, you were a rookie coach, and I was a freshman, and I had, a uh, long story, taken a bus down from Illinois, but that's another story. But uh, you said we're going to have open trials, and I want to try out for the tennis team. So we all went down there, like you said, about 48 people there. And so you said, well, guys, there's too many. I'm going to try to weed it down. I want you are like at 545 or something next morning, and we're going to run. And I thought, well, okay, we'll run a couple of things and play some tennis. Well, three weeks later of running, what happened was the next day, 48, about 10 didn't show up because it was too early. So then you were down to 38. A couple of 440s later, a couple of guys thanked you, walked off. We kept dwindling down like that. After about three weeks, there were eight guys left. And then Chuck goes, oh, by the way, guys, we're going to have a tournament. I only keep one guy, and the winner's going to be on the team. <laughs> we're looking around going, wow, that was a lot of running." 440s and miles for time, and you know, it's kind of puking your guts out, out there because it was quite brutal. If no one's been through Morning Madness, it and you, of course, not, not many people have. It's kind of a band of brothers, you kind of bleed together and you feel pain together, and it kind of makes you a family. But um, so we played a tournament, and I hacked with my little T2000 my way to win it somehow, which I was not the best player, but maybe I just was the best competitor and uh, made the team. And without that, Chuck, my whole life it would have been totally different.
1: I thought about how my life would have been different, too, if, you'd just, if you had tanked or had said, you know, too tough or something to walk away. But I do remember, do you remember who you beat in the final? Jim Center, wasn't was it, it? Jim
0: Center, yeah. Jim Center, Jim yeah. Center Jim and
1: Bobby Center, Jordan. Game, yeah. Bobby Jordan was in mm-hmm. the semis, I think. But, but listen, folks, the reason I'm bringing this up, after how many years ago has that been, Andy? Has that been 40? Uh-huh. Holy cow! That's forty-seven years, years. No, no, forty-five yeah, years ago. forty-five. 40, uh-huh. Folks, forty-five years ago, I still remember Jim Center and Bobby Jordan and some of the other guys that hung in there. And then we played the tournament. Both those guys came up. You know what they did? It was I saw the movie Miracle the other day, and you know mm-hmm. they had to cut Ralph, whatever Ralph's name was. And the guy was almost crying. He was crying. He said, thanks for giving me a shot, Coach. Well, that's what those two guys did. You know, Coach, I didn't have to deal with parents calling, saying it was unfair or why would you run for three weeks. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, so, you know, just real quick. Look, folks, I'll give a quick bio here. Andy's a very humble man. All I can tell you is every time I come to town with my team, He's the first guy I want to speak to my team. Uh, Everybody, every coach on campus knows him. He was recently, he's been the director of football operations at Clemson University for three coaches, Tommy West, Tommy Bowden, then Dabo Sweeney. And you, Andy, it was what, 18? How many years did you do that? Is football.
0: I did it for, for 20, 20 years, Chuck. I know it's kind of sad, but I was yeah. actually in tennis at Clemson 15. I ran football for 20. So, And people still think of me as a tennis coach, which is really kind of pretty cool, actually. Yeah, you know, and
1: you are the only probably tennis coach in history. You were the women's tennis coach, and I was the men's tennis coach. And my, 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 I, I mean the – advantage I had and we had the experiences we had over the years Uh, but there was always passion there was always learning but I wanted to just say to everybody then Andy was a walk-on at Clemson then he ended up being an assistant coach for me at Clemson on our first championship team then he was hired at Furman and he went over and was the women's coach then uh, the wisdom of Bobby Robinson at Clemson University brought him back to Clemson. And then, uh, of course, the dynasty started. We had some great years in men's tennis, but he also had many, many great years. There many All-Americans. Gigi Fernandez, who most of you know, I won't go into what kind of, uh, if she was in great shape or not or whatever, and her coming in as a freshman, you know, and uh, whether or not pro tennis was even on her mind but four years later, she was one of the most sought-after um, athletes ever. Or a couple of years later, she turned pro early. But she got to the finals at the NCAA. Turned pro. Coach Andy Johnston did a wonderful job with her, and she is, I think, the winningest, grand, most Grand Slams of just about any woman tennis player in doubles. I think. I think she's just uh, yeah. she's got one of the records. Yeah. yeah. So, but she's one of them, multiple All-Americans, and all those things. But when the op when the opportunity came up for Andy to uh go into something else and make a little bit better living than uh, gosh Andy, I'm not even talking about the sixteen thousand kids we have come through camps, all those summer right. camps. Right. You know, is amazing. Mm. So anyhow, folks I could go on and on and on, but Andy I want this is your program today. Um you are a you are a great coach you're a leader, you're a teacher, you're also a father of a very, very good uh, young player that we want to talk about and give give some people some advice on. But, but just yeah. if you could talk about, if you could, the early days about culture, building the culture of, of excellence, teamwork, whether it was on the tennis or, you know, all the buildings. So I'm going to cut it, let, let you talk now, but if, if you could just talk about the culture and some of those things that were so unique about those years, and then please speak about when you were in football as well.
0: Well, thank you, Chuck. I mean, there are so many things I'd like to share and tell. I'll try to keep it a little coherent, but one thing I wanted to say is that the main thing I've, i found out about in life because i was thinking about my career and how you said and it was amazing you gave me an opportunity and bob robinson but you know i majored in business at clemson and i thought you know i'll be do something in business but then you said hey andy be the assistant coach so i said hey i'm still young to be fun and i'll go get a real job so i did a year then paul scarpa calls me andy scarpa here wants to be your ladies' <laughs> coach so of course you can't turn paul scarpa down so i did that, then I thought, oh, that's pretty good. Now will go get a real job. Then Bobby calls me, says, hey, why don't you be our women's tennis coach? I said, well, it's still pretty fun. So I did it for 15 years. Then I was doing tennis camp with you, and he said, Andy, I need to see him office immediately. And I thought, well, we finished 19th. And I said, we did pretty good. We didn't win the ACC. But I thought, jeez, I'm getting fired. I went down there, said, close the door. We we were getting fired closed, if we weren't good. Yeah, top and 10. he said, close the door. Well, he closed, said, close the door. And I said, I am getting fired. And he said, I want you to be director of football operations. And I said, Bobby, I never played football. I played basketball and tennis. And he said, no, I've seen you're organized. And um, so I said, well, what does Tommy West think? He goes, oh, yeah, he's all for it. Well, I found out later, Tommy West thought I was a plant by Bobby, but that's a whole other story. But um, anyway, what I realized is I never applied for a job or wrote a resume. And I said to myself, if you have this skill set, and the main skill set is this, is Pe- be, be a people person. It, you know, like you've said, Chuck, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And I told my daughter when she started a job up here in the upstate of South Carolina as a vet tech, I said, first of all, w- number one, get to work on time. I said, half America can't show up on time. Second of all, be loyal. And I said, here are your best abilities, responsibility, dependability, accountability. And with those attributes, you, people will find you and search you out. You don't have to search them out, but that's the key. And, um, you know, getting back to your question, I just want to throw that in. You know, we started the early years, it was pretty rough. And I, we were so naive. I think Chuck, we didn't know how hard it was. And, you know, you said always that statement. I always thought about keep the fog on the mountain and one step at a time. We don't see how high the climb is, but we thought, Hey, what the heck, we can just do this and win the conference. And, You instill that attitude that I see, kind of, kind of what just thing Dabo did. You know, he Dabo puts a little sign every day, fall meeting before. A every team meeting he says it says I believe, and it says instead of it can't be done, he 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 has the can't cross out and said it can be done, and he brings those to every team meeting. And uh, your positive attitude and his are what I think made things successful because you are. You 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 know you were the straw that stirred the drink, Chuck. I mean you got it all going to Clemson with the early okay, teams, and I kind of learned from they
1: stir stick, stir stick, stir paddle, <laughs> yeah. stirring it up. Yeah, yeah. but I've been we, to to stir the straw that stirred the sense drink.
0: Sense. Okay, you're the straw. Yeah, but here's the thing, we had to you know work hard. I mean we we didn't realize, but we had a work ethic, and I think that's the thing that. These people get into coaching now, think it's magically you're going to be a top twenty team, or magically everyone else is not trying to win. Every else has the same amount of scholarships. But I can remember many nights, Chuck, we'd be there making calls, you and I, at night, or you know, and we'd just be talking about it and calling recruits to the wee hours. And you know, you got to take a lot of rejection because people didn't, they didn't have the reputation of Clemson as a, you know, we weren't UCLA, we weren't Stanford, we weren't Miami or North Carolina these blue blood tennis programs. So we really had to do it, outwork people, and, uh, you know, it wasn't given to us, and uh, I think we really appreciated it. I mean, you won like 12 ACC titles. I won five, but, um, you know, I think those were magical, really magical years, and I think the players now and those teams realize how special how special those teams were and how uh, how great they were, and, and it just was really special. But then I think going to football, the things I learned in, in tennis really helped me in football and vice versa. But, you know, I learned, you know, a lot of things and, you know, and football is a whole different animal. I went from coaching, you know, females to, to males in a different set there. But, um, you know, the people are people and recruiting recruiting. And, uh, you know, it was really great. I worked for three great coaches with Tommy West and we became great friends. Uh, at first he thought I was a plant. He was very suspicious, but I kind of won him over. And then, I I get there, and after two years, you know, all of a sudden we went three and eight. Mm. And all of a sudden, I look at the paper, and Tommy West says, We're getting fired. I go, Well, Bobby, this was great. I left a good job. Now I don't have. So he said, Well, you'll have to just see if the new coach who we get, we didn't know who it was. So Tommy Bowden came in and he interviewed me. He said, Well, Andy, I heard you do everything, so I'm going to keep you, but everybody else in the building's fired. So I said, like, Wow, well, that's interesting. So I made it through the regime there. And Tommy Bowden, uh, a strong Christian, just a great man. He and I ran every day and talked about multiple things every day. And um, he is just such a quality person. And we just couldn't quite get over the hump. It was really so frustrating, Chuck. I mean, we would do so good and lose a game to, like, you know, Matty Ice, Matt Ryan throwing the touchdown pass against us. get out of the AC Championship with some Hail Mary last uh, second Georgia play. Georgia and...
1: Tech catch, uh, Johnson made. And, you know, that was ridiculous the last-second yeah, catch yeah. he made, and just a lot of things well, like that. I remember, go ahead.
0: Yeah, but, you know, then they came up. I didn't want to say the term. They came up with a term about losing big games at Clemson, and if I say it, Dab would probably uh, shoot me. So we kind of had to change. Yeah, we had to change the culture. And the thing is, Chuck, changing the culture is difficult, and you have to have a tough mentality, but you have to be have a work ethic and never lose faith, never lose hope, and never lose your dream. Because it's easy to give up, you know, and that's the thing about America now. I think you see a lot of things, people, and I know it's difficult times now with Corona and this and that, and there's always things that are difficult. It was difficult times in World War II when people going off to war, too, wasn't it? So there's always stuff happening, right? That's life. But, um, you know, you never lost the dream, Chuck, and neither did Dabo, and Dabo kept believing that he was going to be successful and win the ACC and win the national championship, and he did and you, you know, we got on the cusp, of. you had NCAA finals with Lawson Duncan, you had great team semifinals, and, you know, it's just it's just magical to win a national championship, and, you know, and like I said, at a school at like Clemson, to do as well as we did, I think was a tribute to us, and I think right now, you know, they're going to get a new women's coach here, we don't have one, um, Nancy Harris, you know, has done a fine job, and she retired, and then you got Robbie Weiss, who, um, you know, played at Pepperdine, he's our men's coach now, and I just saw that he got the number two recruiting class signed in the nation. So he put oh, out a big great. news. Yeah. A yeah, he just put it out, Chuck, a couple of days ago. That he just signed the number two class in the United States. So I have to say, you know, that's really positive. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the teams haven't had that success like uh, it, it, since, I'm, you know, you and I left. Nancy had some success, and there's been spatterns of success in the men's and women's, but, uh, you know, just not – quite And it, it's more, you know, there's more teams in the conference and there's a lot of things. But now we have a new facility here at Clemson, a beautiful new indoor-outdoor. I mean, so I think the, the future is bright. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we have a passion for it because we had blood, sweat, and tears, and mostly a lot of tears, Chuck, as you know. Um, it's like that saying said, you know, after big losses, we, we, we'd go to bed and we'd, we'd sleep like a baby. We'd get up every hour and cry and cry. So, uh <laughs> but it's... it's yeah. <laughs> But yeah. it was fun, you know and, and I think here's the thing that you don't realize when you 're in the midst of it, just like raising children you 're trying to survive it, but you don't realize the beauty is the process, and the process is this, and actually, I was just talking to my wife Karen this morning, me, and I use her sayings all the time i I said this I said, you know it, it, it's the process the main thing is building building people, and that's what that's why Dab has been successful is is a Is about building quality young men. If you look, we don't have a lot of Clemson football players in the papers. You see a lot of programs getting in trouble with players doing not good things. But we have built a culture of accountability. And, you know, uh, we say this in football. It's the same as parenting. Coaching, is. I told Karen, this is like parenting. You either coach it or you allow it to happen. And that's what you have to remember. You coach it or you allow it to happen. And uh, so we, you know, with football, you know, he changed the culture and got it going and has the people. And that's what I try to do in tennis. I try to get people in. And I mean, let's face it in tennis. We're hitting a ball with a stick over a net. Now that's it. But what the people learn from the sport, you can't buy. It's invaluable. Just like football, the lessons you learn in athletics are lessons that help you be successful in life. No matter if you play tennis recreationally or league tennis you learn about yourself, you learn about how to handle defeat and, and victory, which are both tough. Uh, and you learn, you know, about yourself and and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, make character sometimes. It reveals your character. And sometimes that's not a good thing in people, but, um, you know, that's what I've tried to do with my son. And, um, like you have told me, Chuck, and, and my son is blessed and God is really blessed with athletic ability. And, uh, but uh, he's, a, he's a stallion, and you said this to me, I'll never forget it, with a stallion. You don't want to break their will, just get, put a saddle on them and direct, and, 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 and work on their direction. And I always remember that. A you hold the will, but place. you
1: never break the spirit. Yeah. You know? And that's that a was James that Dobson quote from Focus on uh-huh. the Family years ago. Uh, there's a quote from the Strong Will. I didn't make that up. The Strong-Willed Child was the name of the book, James Dobson.
0: Oh, oh you, I thought you made you that mold- up, Chuck. That was Dobson. Huh? Oh, no, I,
1: I didn't take credit for that one, I don't think. But you mold the uh-huh. will, but never break the spirit. You know, that's a okay. fine, fine line. You know, you keep the direction, but you don't break the spirit of that stallion. You know, and that's what a lot right, of people right. do. You break them down and... I want to talk about Noah. I'm sorry, but your your son here yes. in a minute or two. But I, I wanted to just talk about you too. Look, you've hit on a few things that are really really big, you know, about not quitting, staying the course, keeping fog on top of the mountain until a person's too high up to turn back, building the culture. Mm-hmm. But you stayed the course. That's that's the biggest thing. But you were your father was in the Air Force. He was a Colonel Air Force. So you were raised some in Muscoota, Illinois, and then some in South Carolina, down in Somerville, South Carolina. But your father mm-hmm. basically puts you on a bus. Well, you were a multi-sport athlete, too. You were a basketball, high school basketball player. And you. Uh, I still have stitches, by the way, in my face from the time you elbowed me that we were playing one-on-one for lunch. But I, the scar, <laughs> I'm glad it, it makes me look a little tougher but you gave me that good elbow I was trying to steal the ball from you and you you turned around and ripped my head open with your elbow but anyhow you're a multiple <laughs> sport athlete you're a multiple sport athlete but talk just a bit about somewhere along the line you got this culture or you were you became you learned to not quit things somewhere along the line can you talk about just your upbringing briefly
0: well, I think you're right, Chuck. I mean, my father started off, and we had four children. And, you know, when you're starting off as Lieutenant Captain, you don't have much money. And um, I didn't really – my dad – I started playing basketball because, you know, it was cheap. You just go and you, you grab a ball and grab some people. And I was tall. And I loved basketball. I didn't start playing tennis until I was 15. So it's really never too late. And, uh, you know, when I, obviously when I got to Clemson, I was quite raw. But and my dad never – uh want you know he we didn't have the money i didn't blame him for like tennis lessons but we had a gentleman named jim boswell in somerville south carolina and he was such a great man that i became like a human ball machine when he taught people lessons i would listen to him and then i would kind of self-taught myself but um the work ethic my dad was a colonel and there was he was no nonsense i mean he was old school tough guy was in korea you know and he fought in korea and vietnam so he became the base commander at Charleston Air Force Base. So, uh, you know, he had a lot of responsibility and, you know, flew C-130s and C-5A galaxies. So, um but he would just put discipline in us. I mean, you get up, you made your bed. You, you know, when we'd go on vacation, he said, we'd get up at 0500, so that's 5 in the morning. I said, is this really a vacation, you know? And everyone had their jobs, and, and you was no, like, talking back or I don't want to do it. Or when he said the first time, he didn't ask you three times to make your bed or come on or get your shoes. It was one time if you didn't do it, there was consequences, which – you know, I thought it was, you know, it was great discipline back then. And I don't, you know, nowadays, if, you know, I've, you, you spank your kids, you may call DSS on it. it's like great but Santini a little you know. bit there. <laughs> yeah, it's like a great Santini. But, you know, I learned that, you know, and, and coming to Clemson, you know, I never thought anything about it. My dad was on a trip. My mother was there with two, do- two uh, my, my two sisters. And um, they said, well, Andy, you can't take you." So I had a 21-hour bus ride. I took a green duffel bag. Came to Clemson, 21 hours, got off, had to, had to go into a convenience store, which I later to work at because I needed money, and um, while I was in Clemson, and uh, said, which way's Clemson? They laughed that way, and I figured out how to get my housing, how to do this, and I think those type of things make you stronger because nobody just leads you by the hand and spoons feed you. You know, they don't take care of everything for you. You know, now you've got helicopter or lawnmower parents, whatever you want to call them. People always talk about that, but my parents definitely weren't either one, and, um, you know, but I think that made me tough, and I think... The things I learned in basketball, high school basketball in Illinois, the coaches there really taught you a lot of work ethic and hard work and not quitting. And I think sports really, early in sports, taught me about, you know, I was very competitive and not quitting and wanting to have a will to win.
1: Yeah, I mean, trying to do this, here's, here's the thing I'd like to throw out to parents and youngsters out there listening coaches. I think that what coaches talk about is something we've all heard before, but I always say we need to try to name it, claim it, and tame it. And I try to name it. And uh, what I believe, building the culture, you, you talked about that just briefly. But you've got to build a culture. And your father established that when you were young. And he was allowed to <laughs> establish it back in those days. Nowadays, I don't know. Right. But, but the point is, uh, then I believe that you have to learn how to compete you have build a culture, then you learn how to compete. Then you learn how to lose the right way. A lot of people never learn to lose the right way because you have to lose a lot. Then you learn how to win the right way. Then you can win championships. And co- uh, Mr. Bill Emendorfer, actually a fantastic man, former University of Tennessee football player, and a father of one of my former okay. players, told me that. He said, remember, Bill, my first couple years, uh the job I'm in right now, he said, "You've got to build the culture right, and just remember, learn how to compete, and then learn how to lose the right way, win the right way, and then things will start coming." But nobody wants to do all that now. I think uh, Andy. Um, no, how do you...
0: you're right. Chuck. Go ahead. Well, well, here's the problem, Chuck. The worst thing happened to our society was the microwave. Now everybody, Nobody wants to go and get the slow-cooking crock pot and cook it right. They want to throw it in the microwave and have it in a minute and a half, right, just like sports now. They want the quick fix, and there's no shortcuts. And Dabo talks about that, that there's no shortcuts. I mean, you can't take shortcuts. For example, we decided early in our in – our, um, uh, with Tommy Bowden, we had some issues. We tried to go JUCO with junior college kids, and nothing about some junior college kids. I'm not trying to run it down. It's great for some people, but a lot of times there's issues there. And, 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 and if you try to get – you're not building those kids. They've gone to a JUCO, so you haven't had them for two years. You get them for two years, and you haven't built into their lives for four years. So we said, and Dab was continuing, we don't take JUCOs. We don't take junior college kids. You see some of these programs taking a lot of JUCOs. Uh there was an in state school in our state, I won't name it, but that coach tried to build a culture with JUCOs and when things went bad the character wasn't there and they kinda just they kind of, you know, just quit on him and he ended up resigning. So those are the so, things that are difficult. Yeah.
1: For for parents out there, do you hear what coach is saying here? So culture, when someone's working with your youngster, we all would like the perfect culture and then to learn the game and all that and learn all the technical skills. But you 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 basically my wife was talking about this morning with, with our son and the fantastic man who's working with him, you know, he goes to fitness three days a week to this gym and he's it's old school. It's meat and potatoes, it's not fancy disco music going on. It's old school stuff. But the culture is more important than the stuff, right? The culture.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's about the culture, and you know that's a thing. And um, you know, like, like you know, if they say the harder you work, the harder it is to quit, and I think that's what your son's learning there with fitness, like that. You know, when you put time and effort, but here's the thing: the more time and effort you put into it, like I told my son, the more it hurts when you lose. And if it doesn't hurt uh-huh. when you lose something's wrong because you haven't really invested. Those people that just blow it off, they're not really all in. They're just kind of playing a the game. They're not trying to be the best they can be. And, uh, you know, losing is tough. Like I told my son early when he played tennis, I said, it's a brutal sport. I said, I said we're just actually we were watching the old – were watching Federer play 2019 French Open. And I said, Noah, early, I said, 128 people, the best players in the world at the French Open men. I said, how many lose? And he thought about it. He said, 127. I said, right. So you've got 120 of the best players in the world, and everybody loses but one. So it's a game of learning disappointment. And I think that teaches you how to overcome things in life when you lose a job or, for example, I lost a daughter. It taught, teaches you how to overcome those tragedies in your life. And, you know, you can either cry about it, you know, do drugs, alcohol, turn to something negative, or you can, you know, look at like I'm a Christian, I and I look to, you know, faith in God or you know, and then it but it teaches you how to handle tough adversity and pain and move on. It's like Albert Einstein said said. He said the secret to life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance you have to keep moving forward. So that's oh, what I think. To keep it balance I'm writing down moving notes forward. here.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, Andy, I'd like to say something very quickly About, you know, I always I'm into naming it, claiming it, taming it uh, You know, this new generation A lot of times they name it, rearrange it And then they blame it Parents do that for their <laughs> kids too You know, you like that one? <laughs> but the name like it, that. claim That's it, Yeah, it
0: second.
1: You know, the no, modern generation Names it, then they name rearrange it, it Blame it, blame it. it. Yeah. And then they blame yeah. it You know, and instead of well, naming it, claiming it Then taming it, but let's talk about hurting to lose. So, I've got to throw this in, and I I want to come back and and talk more about, um, you know, what we were on. But it hurts to lose. So what happens the first time kids really give all, and then they lose? The pain is great. So most of the time, if they don't understand to go back to the pain, what they do is. You know, well, first of all, parents will say, "Oh, just have fun, honey. Just have fun. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter." Well, that's the worst thing I think parents could say when a child's hurting. I'd say seven, eight, right. nine, ten, until the kids really start saying, "Woo, this stings when you lose." Well, the point is,
0: right.
1: what you have to do is teach the teach the youngsters that if you lose and you don't care, it hurts too. But when you heal, right. it's sort of like an illness, the coronavirus. It stays with you a long, long time, mm-hmm. and you, you you don't ever get rid of it. But if you take all of the pain on and you try as hard as you can and you lose, it hurts like crazy, mm-hmm. but it's like a broken bone. it it, mm-hmm. it heals, and then you're twice as strong, and then you're not quite as afraid of it later. You you decide that I'm going to take action and I'm going to do the next right thing and then you deal with it and like you say you you it helps you to deal with the many many things that happen but I think we're making a big mistake when we tell the kids look look I want my youngsters eight nine just to have fun but the quick question when he was when he was about ten and a half my son he's playing baseball. And they, they, Andy, they were ahead eleven to one, going into I think the last they had an inning and a half to go. Well, the t- pitcher right. got tight, couldn't throw a strike, get three on. Then catch started walking. Then he put another pitcher in. When well, this kid comes in, he's ten year old. He's panicking now. He can't. He's hitting the backstop, so he walks three more. So you see this coming. <laughs> so he they bring it all the way back from eleven to one with an inning to go. Go to it was where it was eleven to eight, and then a kid hits a home run and wins the game. And and we was so we were in the car, and I'm riding home taking my son Paul, and and he's in the front seat, and he just goes, we just holding it in, and he just busts out and cries and cries and it hurts and hurts. Well, here's the point. I said I stopped the car and I said, son, I said you got to tell me right now, would you rather have this pain like this and give everything or would you rather quit baseball? He goes, no, I got to play baseball. I got to play. I said, son, you will get stronger from this. You'll get past it, but don't you dare pull back and only give half, half of your heart next time. You have to give your heart again yeah. and again and again and again. And that's the thing. You've got to keep going back to the fire. And that he had recently had one where he pitched pretty poorly and I said, well, would you rather have a chance? Would you rather pitch poorly or not pitch anymore? He goes, no, nah, I take the poor. And and that's where you have to go to. So I think this is a big, big thing to tell parents. But but talk talk mm-hmm. about that, just briefly. Um, you coach football. You were in there. A devastating loss to a Boston. a oh. kind of devastating mm-hmm. loss to. Uh, Georgia Tech I remember that game devastating losses where you're almost over the hump almost over the hump talk about that briefly some of the lessons there and what what
0: to do when kids are hurting that bad well it it is difficult you know I've done it on an individual basis and seen it on a team basis and uh, really got to study you know three great great coaches now Dabo recently hadn't lost much with Tommy Bowden and Tommy West but here's the key I mean you go in like you're a parent or you're a coach and you go in that locker room with football after I remember losing to Duke and we're just devastated. We're not supposed to lose to, you know, Duke. We were ranked and they weren't and you're up there and it's, it's kind of, you know, you're embarrassed. Here's the thing. A lot of times in sports, why people in, and it goes back to Proverbs it's pride. It's not humility. If you have humility and not pride, then You can handle losses better. But when you have pride, the thing is that's why people get tight. They think they're not supposed to lose. But if you're humble respect your opponent, then if you lose, I think it's less painful. But getting back to your question, I can remember it really comes down to the coach and the parent. I remember here are the team. This is 18 to 22-year-old. These men are 300-pound plus. They're huge. They look like, you know, they're 30. But they're 18, 19-year-old boys, even though they look like men. And they're emotional, and they're you know they're using profanity, and they're upset, and you know. And then the coach walks in, and he has got to be the rudder. You know, the the coach, the parent, they have to be the. They can't get emotional. The parent can't be upset as the kid or yelling and or carrying on because if they do that, or the coach, I mean, the team and the child is lost. So you have to be the adult, and you have to go in there and put it in perspective because you've said this, Chuck, and it's true. You're never as good as you think when you win, and you're never as bad as you think you are when you lose, and I've told Noah that, and I said, here's the thing, too, and, and another good point, and again, I learned this from you also. You don't want to wrap up your self-worth with your sport or your performance. Just because you lose, you're not a bad person, and a lot of kids think that, and they think the parents going to be upset, and parents, Cannot ever do things like you know, or well, you're not going to eat if you lose. We're not getting lunch. Those type of things because it sends the wrong message. Uh, you know, you know, you've got to be supportive. And i I remember when I was recruiting, I would always recruit the girl after she lost and after she won because after they won, they think they're God's gift to tennis. That's
1: Paul after Scarpa. Lost, uh, that's Paul Scarpa yeah. right there. That, that that's it, one of his lessons. Yeah.
0: Is that him? Well, I learned. To uh, yeah.
1: That, so yep. True. Yep. He used yep, to do that.
0: Yep. Well, that. Garth is a genius. I mean, that's why he's the winningest tennis coach in the history of tennis. And, and, he, and he left, you know, I mean, how many wins he, of 800 or something? I can't even remember. But um, I learned a lot from Paul the one year I was at Furman. And, and um, you know, but but that's the thing. And I said to Noah, you know, he lost. And, and my son's very competitive, you know, and he does not like losing. But I said to him, I said, you know, and I love Roger Federer. I'm old school. And I said, even Fetter loses so that – he lost a match at the time, and he called me up on the road, and he said, well, you know, Andy, even Federer loses. And I said, well, that's a good point. And uh, so, you know, unfortunately, if you look at the players, you can be at the top 30 in the world, those players. They're barely over 500 in their record, and they're top, one of the top 30 players in the world. So it's very much a sport where you have to handle that imposter defeat and not let it, um, you know, define you. And that's why you have to have, you know, like they said, that's why the windshield of the car, Is a heck of a lot bigger than rearview mirror because you have to keep looking forward and not what's behind you, you know. And you said this, and it's so true. The future's a mystery, and the past is history. So you have to look to the future, and you know, just but you don't want to forget the losses. You want to remember them and learn from them, but then be able to go back in the fire and give everything. You said, put your heart out there again. Be willing to feel the pain again. And those are the people that can do that and keep coming back. That are winners and that that excel in our sport.
1: Coach, can you hang with us a minute? I got to go do this <clears throat> commercial, and then we got about 15 minutes. And sure. what I want to do is, I want to, I want to ask you about tennis in America and what we might do. There's some sleeping giants out there where I just don't think we're, mm-hmm. we're missing some opportunities, and then just some other advice for for our parents. Uh, so, Coach, we'll be right back. This Coach Chuck Priest, American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I'm very proud to say that my book, Coaching Tennis, is one of the best-selling instructional books out there, and it's still on the market. After 20 years, there have been over 35,000 sold. Folks, if you want your youngster to learn tennis or if you want to learn some good motivational programs, get my book, Coaching Tennis. You can get it at Amazon or Look at my website at chuckcreasy.net. There's much more there than just how to hit a tennis ball, and your youngster is going to learn a lot more than just hitting a tennis ball as well. Coach Chuck Creasy's Coaching Tennis. I'm back this coach Chuck Creasy with coach Andy Johnston and this uh, literally folks we've only got about 15 minutes to go into program but I really want to get coach Johnston in uh, with some of his quips if you haven't got a notepad right by you and and, uh, a ballpoint pen or a pencil uh, you're missing missing a chance to remember some great things because Coach Andy Johnson, you've always dropped diamonds out of your pocket, but you've never, ever tried to cash in on them. One of the things that um, the humility that you've walked as a strong Christian man and as a man of principle, but a, but a man that has been a great example to not just me, but to so many uh, young people and, and how that it can be done. And uh, probably dabble. Uh, he rubbed off on you, but I'm sure you rubbed off on him a lot you know, as well. In the United States of America, we have a problem right now. Uh, tennis, I hate to say it's on the d- decline. Uh, we address issues, not people. I don't try to talk about people, but I do blast USTA sometimes because I don't believe they do bottom-up management. I believe they do top-down management. And I think the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution is on states' rights. We have to have bottom-up government. You cannot rule a country or a tennis, tennis in a country or a tennis uh, federation, top-down management at all. It kills all motivation. But we're, we've got some sleeping giants out there. And I'm going to say this, Coach Andy Johnston. Let's name you director of all tennis activities. And you're the head honcho in the United States for the next three years. Take on this job. What would you do to wake up some of these sleeping giants out there? Well,
0: I know that's it's a, a tough, tough one. question.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, tough but one. you've got the uh, well, you
0: know, well, I don't know if I have the solutions. I mean, that's a very. I mean, there's some smart people, I'm sure, with USDA, but you know, there's a lot of things that I see. Uh, you know the T spends money, and I, I know they have good intentions, but I think sometimes they they chase money after some players that aren 't going to develop. but I also see this i said it 's very difficult for a young person who 's quite talented to break into pro tennis where we don 't have a lot of American champions. Uh, you know We have a lot of people like these other countries, I think their federations support their players much more than ours. You know the problem with our sport too which I would do is it's sad that golf is so much more ahead of tennis than that you can be the 300, 400 golfer in the world and be really do it, make a good living and stay out there and play that sport and support your family and live a great lifestyle. If you're the three 400 player tennis player in the world, you're, you you quit because you're not making money. You're not even paying your bills. So I don't think the right. money goes deep enough. I know you've got your stars and they're, I mean, Federer and Nadal and you know, those guys. And yeah, they're multimillionaires are set for life, but problem is people that could make it on the pro tour, there's many a great player, many a diamond, as you said, a hidden jewel out there that you never heard about because they didn't have either, you know, financial support, rich parents, uh, backers, sponsors. So basically they gave it a shot, and I remember you always said this, and I always said when players leave college, they go, well, I'm going to try the pro circuit for a year, and if I don't make it, I'm going to quit. Well, that's like saying, as you said, I'm going to go work for IBM for a year, and if I'm not the CEO in a year, I'm going to quit. So, you know, that's the problem. You've got to give it time. But the problem is time's tough when you're starving and you don't have the money to get the opportunities to go play. So I think they really need to do a better job and and spread the money out in tennis, the pro level. I think in the junior level, I mean, I see these tournaments now, I think to do a better job, I know price, you know, costs are going up, but it, it is a very expensive sport having a son, you know, just to get to tournaments and, you know, to get points and rankings, you've got to travel, but then the entry fees keep going up. I think what they need to do is really help these, you know, um, you know, you've got the great training center in Orlando. I know that's great, but I think what you got to look at too is maybe have some other training centers, uh, you know, all around the country, where you can really diversify, find kids from small towns. Like my son's in Little Anderson, South Carolina, uh, and, you know, he's, he's not in Atlanta, but, you know, he just won the 12 and other Southern, you know, championships. But, uh, you know, really help identify those kids because those are the kids that, you know, I think can can really make it. You just got to – but you got to, you know, find them. I think have more regional coaching where they can really don't have to travel to Orlando. I mean, I know was invited down, down to Orlando to train before the uh, COVID, but, you know, we obviously it's been cha- canceled. But uh, I think that would really help and really get those kids some exposure. But it really gets the money, and I know the U.S. Open makes tons of money for the USTA. I know the people in the high end of the USTA are get, make, having a great lifestyle and probably make pretty good money. I don't know, but it seems they have pretty good parties up there. But um, I would say take that money and really help that grassroots program. Those kids leave college at 22 and have something for them. I think you told me this yesterday. There's not really anything from kids 22 to 35, you know. But really Correct. help them with the money there. Correct. Yeah, and, and and do something for those kids because listen, you go to those you know those qualifier. You go to those ten thousand, twenty five thousand. First of all, it's hard to get in and get points beating your head against the wall. And I think they changed the rules. I was talking to a friend of mine who has a daughter at Clemson, was trying to play the pro circuit, and they made it more difficult to get in the tournaments. So basically, it's almost like they're locking the door and, and, and limiting the opportunities for people to go out and try to get points. And then I heard they points kids head, they took the points for I don't even understand it all, but it just seems like it's a system that doesn't lend itself to you know finding kids and letting them go out there and follow their dreams.
1: Could I make a comment here, if I could jump in? then sure. uh, All through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I always believed that tennis was educational-driven. In other words, bottom-up, mm-hmm. got good at your local park, then you could be good in your city, then you could be good in your state, then you could be good in your region, and then you would got to go to one of about five choice tournaments, and then you knew who the best people were, and you'd earned your way up. We became market marketeer. I always blame the marketeers somewhere along the line mm-hmm. when, you know, they, whether it was when, uh, Agassi started selling all those rebel commercials, you know, and that, uh, whether, you know, when he's throwing his shirt to the crowd and didn't you right. I loved his right. second half of his career, that first half surely didn't appeal to me. He's a great champion, but you know, mm-hmm. those earlier professionals, they weren't just trying to market themselves. Um, there's a great great book out there, Rod Laver's Autobiography. Everybody should read that Rod Laver's Autobiography. It's by Triumph Books, but I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. I read it in two and a half days recently, but it shows the contrast between the old school athlete that was the love of the sport. They honored the sport. They honored what they did. They honored, respected other people and then somewhere along the line, we put the marketing people in to tennis. Well, once you did that, it was driven by the top end. And then people say, well, we need heroes. We need heroes. Well, heroes start out as zeros, don't they? I mean, heroes yeah, start yeah. out with nothing. Heroes come on. Uh, Stan right. Smith didn't play tennis till he was 15 years old. Heroes come out of the right. woodwork like a tennis sangren who sweated out on the the Challenger circuit and the the future circuit circuit for years. I remember seeing he and his brother and his mother over in Europe in 2009, and they were sweating it out on the ITF circuits. And then he went to Tennessee, but he stayed out there. He stayed out there, and he's from Gallatin, Tennessee. And uh, mm-hmm. but guess what? He had match points on Roger Federer last year, and I think he's solidly in there. But he that's heroic stuff. It's not somebody that yep. was marketed all the way up, and whether you remember yep. the how we used to market the Anna Karnikova and, the, and but yep. the marketeers got ahead of, a hold of it, and they tried to market it. And whenever you market things, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know Tang, <laughs> the astronauts drink yep. Tang. You know, I always use that as an example for something bad, but that's <laughs> really. Not being market-driven, but being driven, education-driven. Small Town Tennis right. USA, your son is from Anderson, South Carolina, small town, and he's going to get darn good, but it's through the – talk about uh, in, in your son. You He plays lots of sports, though. You played lots of sports. And then talk about how you have sort of brought him along and kept things in perspective with, with him.
0: Well, here's what I said to Noah, and and I work with them all the time because, listen, if you've got a young man or a young daughter and they're 12, you need to work with them when they're 10 or 12. And you need to teach them lessons about life and about the sport. When Noah was uh, like nine years old or eight, he went to a local tournament here, and he, he beat this boy 0 0 and he comes off the court. And the boy was like three years older than him. He was probably, you know, a, maybe he was a 12 and Noah was nine, and and, and um, he came off, and we were about four feet from the uh, his parents of the boy right at the fence and Noah said, I just beat the heck out of that boy. Well, I took Noah aside and I said, he doesn't know the word humility at nine. I said, Noah, if you would have just lost O and how would you have felt? He said, I'd been really sad and I would I'd have been really, really just sad. I said, Well that boy's sad and you just said you'd be in Ono really made him feel worse. So I had Noah go over there and apologize to the boy and his parents. And I think, and I told Noah this. I said, I don't care if you play tennis. I want you to do something, but I, I'd rather you be a good person first, and you know, than a good tennis player. And I said, I'd want you to be an honorable man. And you know, this sport of tennis was started in England by kings and was a sport of nobility and honor. And you know, if you see the sometimes junior tennis now with the gamesmanship, the cheating going on, I mean, we've lost that, and that's something that you know you have to look at the parents. That's your job. And you know what's right and wrong, and the kids know what's right and wrong, and the coaches that coach these kids know what's right and wrong. But the kids, they're going to do what they can get away with. And it's your responsibility to say, hey, that's not right. You know, you're making calls, or you're doing this, or you're acting up, or you're playing games with your opponent, and you're not respecting your opponent, and you're not showing humility and honor to your opponent. I don't care if you're so much better than the opponent. You don't ever belittle them. Or if you're not as good as them, you keep trying your butt off to try to beat them and get better. But, you know, with Noah, that's what I kept telling them because I said, um, you know, this is a difficult sport. And I said, I don't know how you could be. You know, people in this local area, they don't know the sport. Everybody says, oh, are they going to be pro? That's the first thing everybody asks. Well, there's so many things you know, Chuck. You said if you're going to be a pro, you have to sleep with your racket. I mean, you have to eat, sleep, drink it, love it. But even if Noah's not a pro, the lessons he's learning now, if he plays college tennis and, um, you know, whatever he does with it, I mean, he lives at a tennis club that I had built uh, with his mom. I mean, he could go always in in the future, even run a club like that, but he's always going to be learned a sport of a lifetime. I always say there's only two sports, really, you want to play when you're young, golf and tennis, because when you get older, you don't go hit each other in football or it's hard to get a – you know, basketball game up when you're 60, but you play tennis and golf. So those are sports that parents, I mean, if your child just learns a sport, even if they just play high school tennis, they can always play it. It's a sport of a lifetime. It's a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, they can get exercise. It's just such a good sport. They can socialize, meet people, go to tennis club, and, and really if they move to another area, meet a group of friends. So that's the uh, thing. But so no much wisdom
1: to what you're saying. <clears throat> One of the I think I could summarize as saying – you know, you do not manufacture, you cannot manufacture a champion. Um, I was thinking about the, the, the special on ESPN, the book of Manning, about Archie Manning and his wife, how they brought mm-hmm. up those three boys. And, of course, right. two professional Super Bowl champions and all that. And people might think that he uh, Archie Manning drilled him every day. But you need to, parents, you need to really watch that movie. And to see how he was a father first, and then he was mm-hmm. uh, then was supportive, supportive. And then they had one of the his sons couldn't play anymore. He had a spinal injury and he couldn't play anymore. And he grew up normally, without sports. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is, if you don't manufacture this. You've got to learn the life's lessons. And I, here's the saying that folks that I use often. You try to preach this to the kids, but we are so much into successes and ratings and rankings, and we chase these points. And it's nonsense. You have to work for mastery first, success afterwards. And I think that it sounds like exactly what you're doing, um, you know, Andy. I um, so. Um, Andy, you don't have a website or anything like that.
0: Um, <laughs> if people want to get a hold of I, eye, you, you I, I, I don't do Facebook or the websites, or I'm lucky to tech, Chuck. I'm old school. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, like I know. It looks They looked look at me on Facebook. I said, yeah, and then they laughed. They said, no way coaches on Facebook. I said, guess what, guys? I got a phone. I like to call the personal touch. Or you could I even text I'm that good or you, I even do I have still my email from Clemson University but that's about I don't have a website I'm not big time like you Chuck or all that now.
1: Nah. Uh, hey listen man it's it's uh, we've got to get it right after 60 you've got to pour everything back out into other people or you I always say you look you could you 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 have the day and you're in danger of looking like a burnout rock star trying to find another <laughs> gig there's nothing. <laughs> There's there's nothing more sad More sad than to see that person Trying to chase down stuff After a certain age We have a duty And all of us parents and everything We have duties to pour into our youngsters Those things that um, You know sports are supposed to teach them And uh, you know the, Mm -hmm. the fame and all that Blows away very very quickly We've got about two minutes left Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Coach Andy, and uh, could you tell us a few of your very best or memorable? I've got one right here in the office. Let's see. Let's see. I've got a picture of the team, and it says, same mud, same blood. That was one of yours. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You can be beaten but never defeated. Uh Could you leave us with a couple of those uh gems of wisdom? Can you think of any of that popped to the top of your head
0: here? Well, I think the one like I told Noah when he was you know playing tennis and I was trying to teach him about attitude i said here's the thing you i said i've never been been uh, uh, uh beaten on a tennis court." He said, what do you mean? I said, defeated, actually. He said, I've been beaten hundreds of times, and beaten is I lose to a guy 4-4 and and shake his hand. Defeated is I cry, I whine, I throw my racket. I say I can't hit my forehand today. Oh, my parents are looking funny at me. Oh, the wind's blowing. You know, they have all the excuses in the world. And I said, you know, that's the problem with the lump times going on in our nation. People look for excuses, or they look to, like you said, the, Jap- you know, thing like the Japanese said, well, here's what the Japanese, what they say, they're, they're great in industry, kicking our butt a lot. Because here's the saying, the Japanese look to fix the problem and the Americans look to fix the blame. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's different <clears throat> mentality. And the thing is, uh, that's one thing I talked about being beaten and defeated. And I said, that's about your attitude. You know, you don't want to go out there and you're tennis players. And sometimes tennis players are the weakest minded people. It'd be like us saying a football Oh my gosh, we can't run to the left. I wish we could run to the left. So you think we're telling our opponent in football, or we can't throw the deep ball today? But tennis <laughs> first I can't hit my serve. I can't, you know, could you imagine the quarterback whining, going, I just can't throw the deep ball today to the defense on the other side? Come on. But, see, they're a little yeah. bit tougher. You know, football and I'm thinking, what well, my good even in basketball they go, Well, our team can't shoot the three pointer today. They're not saying that to the other team. But how many times have you heard a tennis player oh, I can't you know why they say that? They're embarrassed. It's pride. Yeah. They're worried about their pride and they're embarrassed and that's why they do it. It's a defense mechanism. Instead of just owning it, being humble, keep trying their best, you know, and that's it. You know. Like you just got to take it, you know, just one step at a time, and keep it like you know, just keep it simple. Like I tell Noah when things aren't going well. I said just try to do one thing well, hit it down the middle, run. I said because things that always work. I said it's I said it's the four Fs, Noah. And here's what it is. I said it starts with the bottom, the foundation, your feet. You got you can always run right. Then it's your heart, your fight, and then it's your mind, your focus. And then I say the fourth F is have fun. So it's feet, fight, focus, fun. And those are the four Fs that I tell him. You can always, you know, move your feet, have great fight in your heart, have worked your mind, focus, stay in the moment, and then always have fun. And I always ask him that when he plays a match. I go, I don't – his parents always hope. what was the score? I never say what was the score. I say, did you have fun? I said, you, did you play with honor? Were you, were you fair? Then I said, "Did you try your hardest?" And that's all I care about. And he'll the kids will want to tell you their score, but I don't ask the score. I ask those questions. So that's what's well, important.
1: That's fantastic, Coach Andy. And summing it up here on your bio in the pre- prelude to the program, and where I've, it'll be written up, it says his wisdom is profound and his delivery is always memorable. <laughs> and you've given us a memorable program today, and I just wanted to thank you very very much for being on. Thank you Andy. Appreciate it. Well,
0: thanks Chuck. Thank you. I love you and you do an awesome job. Thanks for everything you taught me in my life.
1: Thanks Andy and folks, I want to remind you you're always in the process of winning or losing every day of your really life and it has very little to do with a winner or a loss. We'll see you next week. In Never buy tattooed on a Trump
0: song, spend a little more in the store for a tag in the back of this USA. Won't buy nothing that he can't fix. With WD-40 and a craftsman, Rich, he ain't prejudiced. He's just made in America.